Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, I write Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I'm a managing partner at Invader Comics. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisandre for the Accidental Aliens. You are. Man about the world, the creative world. And you're a man about the beer world. So let's let's yes. get into that part first. Comics later, beersies now. What you got? Well, I got a Steve Weiser smoking... What is this? Hold on. Sorry, I fucked up. Keep that in. I will. Steve, <laughs> Steve Austin doesn't do second takes. He's got a broken skull. El Segundo <laughs> Brewing Company. American Lager. Ow, ow. Kapow. All right. Scott, I'm going to... I'm going to tell you what I got. What? I have here Dragon's Milk Bourbon Barrel Aged Stout. Oh, that sounds familiar. Does it? Doesn't it, though? Doesn't it? It sounds so familiar. Um, and I wonder, I wonder if we, yeah, you know what? Let's put a timestamp in. Let's, let's do beers first because we, what we're going to do is we're going to talk this week about the retreat that we had. I mean, we're going to mention what we did this week, but most of what I did creatively for the week happened at that retreat. But before we get to that, we caught up on some beers. Oh, yes. And I we think did. we should just do a quick rating of the beers that happened off, kind of off grid here to bring them back to the masses. And knowing that I have this Dragon's Milk bourbon barrel stout in front of me, when I rate that at the end, you can pocket that rating and you can talk about that because that was one of the beers we had. But uh, oh, let's yeah. see. The first the first one I think I want to talk about, let's, let's kind of check off the boxes here. Um, I had, this was from Steve Whistler, right? The Vulgar Display of Lager, correct? It was, yes. Yeah, yeah, Vulgar Display of Lager. That is an ode to Pantera's classic metal album, Vulgar Display of Power. The beer can art is a, uh, a like a line-for-line send-up pretty much of the Vulgar Display of Power album cover. And it was an excellent lager. I would actually give that, I'm going to give it an eight, dude. Like it was a, Ooh, it was that's a, a solid rating. Really fucking good lager. Yeah, like if you know the the problem with some of these beers like this is they're not readily available. If that beer was readily available, it would make its way to my fridge because it's got the metal connection. It's like the same reason I like drinking liquid death water because liquid death water has a very metal ethos when it comes to how they do their stuff. You know. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so the one beer that. Mm. It really got mentioned early on in this podcast, and it's get gotten brought up a few times throughout. Is Harlan Brewing Company's Ube Milkshake IPA, yeah. and I got a can from my buddy Mitchell uh, a few months back. Like he's he's part of that special box club that you you can order if you have the Harland like invite to do so. Mm-hmm. And uh, him and a couple of my other friends, they share the they share the subscription. So when something interesting comes in, they just go, okay, hey, this is what we're getting. Um, so they got a extra four pack or or two four packs of that Ube Milkshake IPA, and he, thankfully he was able to pass one along my way. And um, I brought it up to the creators retreat. And so yeah. what do, what do we give in that rating there, Keith? Oh, you know what I'm giving it. The question is, are you giving it the same thing? It's a 10, people. That's a 10. It's a 10. Yeah. That's the second 10 in making comics history. Yeah. Um, and... And not far apart. I mean, no, no, yeah, no, not at all. Not, not, not like I'm not. I don't think it was back to back weeks. No, I think we had two, one to two weeks in between. Yeah, yeah. Because I think I think I I drank the Bourbon County Stout a couple weeks ago. But yeah, that that thing is as advertised. 
It was awesome. It was the same beer that you first mentioned years ago, early on in the Making Comics run. I believe they made a similar beer, but not the same, about one year ago. And then they finally brought back the OG uh, Taste Bud Delighter in that thing. So yeah, man, that thing was a, a 10 out of 10. It was phenomenal. It was one of the best beers I've ever had. Yeah, if you guys can somehow get your hands on a Harland Ube Milkshake IPA, do it. Um, it is quite expensive from what I understand. I remember I got, oh no, it was, I didn't get a four pack of that. Um, by the time I got a hold of one of those, it was well gone, but, um, you know, you're probably going to be looking at like 10 bucks a can or something like that for that beer, but, but it's absolutely worth it. You know, just really enjoy it. But, but like, there's no way you're getting hold of this beer. There's no way. Correct. There's no way, right? Like it is, it is limited. In fact, for the hell of it, Scott, I, I looked up Harlan's tap room menu yesterday just for the hell of it because I was having nostalgic moments of the of the Ube beer not anywhere it's not on draft anywhere so that's how that's how deep of a cut this thing is and then you had one more that you need to rate which was a beer that I had brought you from Hawaii back around Christmas that was the Ola Lilikoi Lime IPA oh I really enjoyed that I give it an 8.5 Woo, man that Man. is a solid, solid beer. I really enjoy it. And I thank you because Keith actually brought three cans up, you know, one for each of us and one for me to take home. And so that's sitting in the fridge right now, just uh, waiting, waiting for the right occasion. And it's going to happen yeah. sooner than later. But um, yeah, today I had a couple of beers that were left over. I, I brought it up on a couple episodes, a couple episodes ago where I grabbed yeah. them from my sister's house. And this, this Steve Weiser, the Smoking Skull... Uh, a broken skull beer has been in there for quite some time. And I'm like, yeah, I think I need to drink it before it gets skunked. And, mm-hmm. and no one wants skunked like delicious beers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So as you can tell, it was a it was a damn fine. Well, you know, what? we'll save the story on the bourbon barrel uh, age lager for the end because that has a little bit of a story. We got all kinds of uh, little things that we can talk about with the creator retreat, but let's get into it. Let's get into the creator retreat. So we went up to um, the mountains of California and uh, we found this place and it's uh man, it's, it's just got a cool vibe to it. Um, you made a great line when we were talking there about how it has a nice flow. So like Scott worked in like five different locations within it. I ended up moving around a little bit too and uh, did the job. It's, it's nice and quiet up there. It's too quiet. I mean, I'm not used to, I'm not used to that level of quiet in the world. Like we're talking a car drove by maybe once every hour and a half, something like that. So it was, it was really cool for that. Yeah, honestly, it was it was definitely something that I needed. And, you know, you had music playing the whole time. And uh, we started off light with some jazz. And it was what you were working on at that time. It was something that you needed to concentrate a little more. So when you have things in the background, TV shows, uh, music, you know the lines, you know the lyrics. It has a habit of distracting you. And um, so you were like, you know what, I, I need something where I'm not going to pay attention to it. It just needs to be in the background. And that was jazz. And um, that was really a good choice. And something that I noticed about how we were working or when we were the most productive, I, th- I find it interesting was you were churning and burning early on and you were just really moving through things quickly. Whereas I feel like I was um, kind of like chipping away at it. You know, it was like, okay, this is the thing that I have to do. And so the first thing that I worked on on this trip was Uh, doing thumbnails so I had previously said I had finished the thumbnails which I did but I didn't like the flow of some of the pages 
And so that was really bothering me. It felt like too many things were packed in these pages. So I had to go through and kind of dissect the page and see what the issue was and then move things, adjust things, like shrink some stuff up, you know, enlarge some panels, move some panels over to the next page. And eventually I got there, but it was more of a, uh, a chip in away process than just like feeling it, you know, and mm-hmm. I noticed early on you were just feeling it and you were moving and grooving and like every, I don't know, 15 to 20 minutes you would stop and you'd go, all right, what do you think about this? And mm-hmm. you were just moving along so nicely at a great pace that I was like, oh, right on fucking A. And where I started churning and burning was later in the night where that because you're a morning person. I'm a night person. So mm-hmm. I could really feel it towards the end of the night that I was really getting it going and moving things along. So it was just interesting to see that, um, see how both of us worked in the same space and like when one of us was advancing and the other one was kind of, you know, chugging along. Yeah, yeah. And to that point, it sounds like that was sort of your first thing. And again, what we're going to do is here talk about the things we did this week at the Creator Retreat. And so I'll stay right on that note with the jazz, because the two big things that I did over the Creator Retreat had different music soundtracks. So everything Scott says, he said it probably better than I can. But what I did the first time, the, the first thing I was doing, that churn and burn, was uh, a, a line edit on The Party, which was the short story that I even thought of, you know, six weeks ago, wrote real quick for the workshop and uh, and then got the notes back and have since done a couple passes of it. And this was what I think was the final pass. It's when I get to this, what I'm looking for is things like language. Um, is, is the language doing what I want? Do the characters feel authentic? You know, we've talked about that a little bit, that that everything needs to feel like the authentic motivations of the characters, even if you are the God author. And uh, and so I just kept going through with those things. You know, the point for me is not necessarily to be super powerful pros like I'm not. I've said it many times. I'm not Toni Morrison. Nobody's Toni Morrison. And I'm not interested in trying I'm interested in in my particular style being, you know, straightforward with some $4 words every now and then, but maybe one $4 word a page, you know, something like that as an idea, or maybe one killer phrase a page that can serve as like, you know, the keystone of that particular page. So yeah, I mean, it was a good solid shit, Scott. I think it was five or six hours of dedicated work I was doing there. And, uh, and that's why I needed to have jazz because I'm just being very uh, scrutinous if that's a if that's a word about the um about what was on the what was on the page you know i believe um you know there was early on i i turned to scott and i said hey is it okay if i just kind of you know turn to you and say some shit every now and then you're like yeah of course i, I wouldn't want it any other way so i would just write for a while and then i'd share something with you you know and then i'd write for a while and then i'd share another thing with you and one of the things i shared that uh, you had never i don't think i'd ever mentioned to you before was a line from my mentor, which is that every word has to fight for its right to stay on the page. And uh, I I remember even reading you a couple before and afters, and there was one before and after where I read you a sentence, and then I read you the same sentence with two less words. It was better because the two words weren't needed. They were redundant. You know, I mean, again, I'm going to use a crappy example where you could say, like, you know, it was, it was, you know, 8, 8 p.m. in the evening. Yeah, no shit. PM is evening. 
you know, that kind of thing, right? Like that's a, that's a super obvious example, but it's those kind of examples where you find that you say the same thing twice and you're, and in a much more subtle way than what I just said. You know, it's, it's like something we've talked about with lettering, like the economy of words is so important when it comes to it. Like you can't overcrowd your page with too much dialogue. You have to get on there. What's the most important and trim all the fat that you can. And so I remember I had to add, I had to have you say the sentence a couple of times and I was mm-hmm. like, it's shorter, but I'm trying to figure out which words were gone and you pointed it out. And I was just like, mm-hmm. Oh, pff, yeah. Okay. It totally makes sense why you took those out. And yeah, and yeah, you just have to trim that fat. Yep. And it was much more subtle than that. Again, it wasn't as obvious as 8 p.m. in the evening. It was something where you almost don't notice it the first or second time. I mean, shit, I didn't. I wrote it and I passed it over three or four times. And then the fifth time I was like, wait a minute, I don't need those two words. And uh, and you make a great connection to lettering um, in that in that we have that same thing going on. You want to be economical. And what you find is if you do your own lettering, which as a writer, I, I highly recommend you. um you realize that you can say things in a better way a lot, you know, I mean, not a lot like every single goddamn word balloon, at least once a page, though, at least once a page, you're going to be like, oh, how about that? I can say this a totally different way and it takes up less space because it looks so different on a script than when you drop it into a word bubble and then you might drop it into a word bubble and you're like, that is a pretty goddamn big word bubble. Yeah, (laughs) that's something I've been messing with. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I, I've, I've been messing with lettering a lot lately. I was, you know, lettering second shift 13 and I've been finding better ways to deal with stuff like that. And like early on in my, my lettering journey here, like mm-hmm. I would just make giant word bubbles filled with dialogue. And I'm just like, I mean, it gets the job done, but it doesn't seem right. And, yeah. you know, now I'm, I'm learning. You got to break those word bubbles up. You know, it's just like, mm-hmm. You know, you could string together three, four word bubbles if if need be, you know, just have smaller yeah. word bubbles if you have to work around art and whatnot. And you just have to make it appropriate too of the flow of the dialogue. You don't want to, yeah. you don't want to go like mid sentence or like mid thought, basically. It's right. like, you know, you can, you know, for example, you can go, oh, hey, it was nice. It's nice to meet you finally, you know, nice to finally meet you. And that could be one word bubble. Mm-hmm. Next word bubble is something that they know or found out about you, you know, and then the one last thing could be, you know, like, okay, uh, you know, I'll talk to you later, some shit like that. So yeah. you could break those word bubbles up or those that dialogue into three different spaces and, and it yeah. just makes it flow a little better and, and uh, look better on the page. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to call that a technique, but if you call that a technique, uh, I would argue that that is a technique that I use so often it is almost my style, especially well, in animals. Yeah. And you don't want to sweat the technique, Keith. No, of course you don't. I mean, Eric B. and Rakim said it. We're just living by it. I get it. Every day. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, yeah, it's 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 I I happen to think that that is a thing that is definitively like a boy. Do I adhere to that so much Um, in animals? There's a lot of that. There's a lot of people that may go on a two, three word bubble monologue there. And it works because you're changing the thought the way Scott was talking about. So, yeah, I mean, that the, anyway, that was um, how it ended. And then um, while you kept on working on the same stuff, we're going to get back to you with whatever else you want to talk about. But that was when I did a big switch to hip hop. And then all of a sudden, because so, that's what I told Scott, I turned to Scott and I'm like, you know, for this first part, I I needed jazz so that I could concentrate. 
so that I could concentrate on the words. I don't need to concentrate as hard on this next thing I'm doing. So we're going to bump some hip hop here. You know, like that's that's what I was really in the mood to do. And uh, boy, boy, did I run into the ground the Danger Mouse Black Thought record, which is fantastic, by the way. For people out there, I, I know we have some listeners that like hip hop. And when I say hip hop, I mean 80s, 90s hip hop, right? Like that mold. The Danger Mouse Black Thought record is fantastic. So, uh, and then I think we listened to a bunch of Zarface too. Yeah, because. Oh, yeah. Because for Zarface, you were like, is this Jay-Z? Like, who is this guy? And that, yeah. that guy is um, Esoteric, who is one half of Zarface and sounds a whole hell of a lot like Jay-Z in a lot of spots, right? Um, yeah, huge influence. And, like, I wasn't mad at it because I really like Jay-Z. But it was just, yeah. like, I would catch a couple of, uh, uh, you know, verses. And I was like, wait, what? Wait, yeah. do we switch it? Like, do we switch records? Like, what are we listening yeah, to? Yeah, But it was a exactly. great flow to this stuff, man. Like, great choices on the music. And, you know, to the point where you get caught up in in the flow of your art that you don't realize we've listened to the same record a few times. I think yeah. I think uh, one of the records, that, that first record you mentioned, you said we listened to it three times. I didn't even realize For sure. It. For sure. Yeah. And it was because I just kept on wanting to go back to it. I'm like, no, I like this, you know, and mm-hmm. then or, or that that would lead into a playlist of larger stuff. And then it would take snippets from it with without a doubt. We ended up listening to that record three, maybe four times worth total, as well as a heavy dose of anything MF Doom and a whole lot of Wu-Tang Clan. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, going back to what you had had said earlier about about the location and just the flow of it, the open space, like the welcomingness to it. Um, and, and I said it to you on the trip was this place like invites movement. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's I started off in one nook. There was this cool, cool little corner where it had a record player um, kind of like not a recliner per se. It was just mm-hmm. a nice comfy chair. Or did that recline? I can't remember. I don't think Shit, that it I did. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think that it did. Um, it was just comfortable, and you could kind of lean in it. You know, you can kind of sink into it a bit. And um, it was just real nice little corner. And I started off there. It had two outlets near it. And so I was able to charge my iPad at the same time while working on it. So um, it was just a real good location for something like that. And then after a while, I was like, okay, my iPad's charged up. You know what? I think I'm going to move over to this other recliner. Mm-hmm. And um, it was kind of, how do you describe it? It was like a the gyro arrow, chair. Is that what you're talking about? Gyro chair, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah it, like, it just kind of like like floated. It, it's, a, it's a wild chair. You like float in it when you're sitting in it. It's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. It's a recliner, but it reclines because of your body weight. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so that was nice to work in for a while. And I moved to a bar stool at once. I, uh, at, at some point, I... There was a couch there that I would go to quite a bit. I really liked mm-hmm. that one. I was able to like lean on the arm and kind of put my feet up. And then uh, the the table, the the diner table was actually a bar style uh, dinner table, a dining mm-hmm. table. And so you had high stools, high table, and I liked that effect. So if I wanted to sit up a little bit more straight, I would go to that. So just like a lot of options, and it, it, it was great, man. Like every yeah. location that I sat on. Like, I was like, yeah, this is cool. This works. This isn't uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. it was, you know, it's, I mean, like, you know yourself, like when you feel like sitting in a chair, you'll sit in a chair. If you feel like standing, you'll stand a bar stool, a couch, you know, a recliner. You just kind of get in these moods where like, I think I have to move around. And every single time I did, it was like the right thing. It was the right chair and it felt really great. So I can't, I can't, uh, you know, speak highly enough of that place that we went to. And so I'm glad 
Uh, also, beanbag chair. Let me not forget. Oh, yeah, that's right. There's a big-ass beanbag chair there. Yeah. The yeah. problem with that one was it was too comfortable, and I got sleepy. Yeah, your ass fell asleep in it. I was yeah, like, I was like, shit. hey, yeah. man, I'm going to take a quick 15 and <laughs> just, like, yeah. knocked out in the beanbag chair, so it was real yeah, comfortable, exactly. man. I do think that this is, you know, something we we should mention here before we get to, because, Scott, you had a second thing, a second goal that we'll get to in a second. But something that I think is important um, to mention here is this isn't necessarily, I mean, it's about our creative retreat. But I imagine some people listening out there are thinking, wow, I'd like to do that. And and you can, right? Like, you can just get away to one place for a, for a night. You know, this was only a one-night retreat. Um, and, and we made the most of it. And it's so beneficial. And it's hard. No, no one here is saying it's easy. It's hard to, to cut out time for yourself like this. But if you do, then it's, it's just this blast of creative time for yourself. You know, I think I turned to you and, and we, were, we were figuring it out at dinner that I had basically done something like seven or eight hours of creative work on the first day, the average day where I'm doing creative work, like today, I was so, so busy with just stuff in my life. I, I had zero creative time and you're going to have days like that. Tomorrow is going to be a little bit better and I'll probably have my usual hour to an hour and a half of creative time, right? That's the time that we, after we get through every other obligation, every other thing that we do, we have this creative time. Sometimes it's two hours, but most of the time it's an hour to hour and a half for me. So this was like four or five days worth of creative time. And that's what's so great about it. But it does come with the the added issue of you're going to create for a while. And then you're going to be like, fuck, this is like a day's worth of shit. Like I just I just sat here for an hour and a half. That's usually where I end. I got to walk around. I got to do this. I got to do whatever it is. I got to eat some chips. I got to drink a soda. I got to I got to go stare out a window, whatever it is. That's that's going to be the biggest thing that you you want to do in your creative retreat, because as the day wears on, you need to you're going to work less and you're going to take longer breaks because you've been working so hard. And and this look, comic making and of course, novel writing, it's 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 a high drain on your creative battery. So no matter how much you recharge it, it's going to have diminishing returns. And by the end of the day, you're just going to be like, I can probably maybe do 20 more minutes of work and then I'm just fucking done, you know, so. Yeah, that's what happened towards the end of the day. I think we, oh, yeah. um, what time did we tap out? Around 11, 10, 30, 11? Well, we tapped out around 11, but it's worth noting that we broke for dinner at like 5, did some shit, got back around 8, and then spent, you know, what, a good solid hour occupying ourselves with the results of the NBA evening, including yeah. the three-point contest and the dunk contest. So we uh, we geeked out over that for a while, and then finally it was like 9 o'clock. We're like, all right, let's do a little bit more. And I pushed through and did a little bit more, but boy, were the returns diminishing by then. <laughs> and one of those things that we did was drink. So yeah. like, while we're out, we, we had a few beverages, and, and yes. we'll talk about... One of those beverages at the end. Yeah, um, yeah. But that beverage was a rush job, and <laughs> that affected the rest of the night. And, um, yeah, you totally. know, we, we definitely both felt it. I worked a little longer than you did. Again, I'm a night person. So it was like, even though I was exhausted and, and I got a ton of work done as well, um, I was feeling the same way. It's just like, yeah, I, I normally, I would say, get two to three hours of created time a day, maybe, maybe four if I'm lucky. Um, but I did notice that 
today and yesterday specifically, when I was working, I would have to stop and go do random things that your life requires to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like um, I have three dogs, so they have to be taken out, they have to be fed, you know, and they have they need playtime or else they'll go insane. So like, there's all these responsibilities at home that break up me sitting there and drawing from hours on end. So the retreat was so important for me because like I I definitely got a lot more work done in a day, but it was the it was the nonstop element of it that I really enjoyed. It was just yeah. like, oh, I'm not being asked to do something right now. I, I don't my animals require nothing of me right now because I'm not home. Right. So that really helped a lot. And uh, to be able to kind of sit there and push through problems that I was running into while working on the pages uh, was nice because there was no interruptions. And, and you know, mm -hmm. if you guys are out there and you're thinking, hey, I, would I have a couple of friends that want to, you know, like that create comics or, or are creative in some kind of way, you guys should look into an Airbnb, like maybe mm -hmm. not too far from you, maybe an hour away from you or something. That way you can get away and just kind of focus on your craft. And it's just, it was really helpful, man. I, I really like doing that for sure hell yeah man same here same here so you had a second thing that you did while we were there i did so let's, uh, are, are we home. only yeah. covering the retreat stuff or the stuff that we did as well this week we're gonna do the retreat stuff chronologically and then we're gonna get into the other stuff oh right? okay so cool. I'm, I'm assuming that you know like i've done i have a third thing that happened after the retreat but that's gonna be it for me okay cool um i i actually have i have a couple but like one of them could be lumped in with the retreat one. So here, I'll do my other retreat thing. So going into it, we both kind of had ideas of how much work we wanted to get to uh, get done. Mm -hmm. And so mine specifically was adjusting the thumbnails that I had already created, making sure they're nice and tight, and then finishing at least two panels. Mm -hmm. And like he said, we had one day basically to do this. It was like a day and uh, maybe three hours. Mm -hmm. three hours or something like that into the next day because we ended up taking off uh, at 11.30, grabbing some lunch, and then heading home, you know? So mm -hmm. um, we got some time the second day. But my goal was to get at least two pages done in all those thumbnails. It's like, and I was able to hit all those. So I had finished two, two, two panels uh, and the thumbnails. Plus, it was almost like a third panel because I had just started drawing random characters in different panels you know part of the slack method is jumping around wherever you feel you know like you're able to work the best and the quickest that's what i was doing i was like okay i think i can do those panels i think i can knock that out um it was even to the point where i was jumping around so much i told you i don't think i'm going to finish two panels exactly mm -hmm. but with all of the panels that i've jumped to it's equivalent to two panels i was yeah. wrong i was able to find a panel and i just knocked out super fast and i was like oh shit right on so i, I got a lot more done than i wanted to and uh, i was really happy with the results and moving forward um i was able to get a couple more at least a couple more panels done this week so just to kind of tie those in together yep um uh so the, it just kept flowing like all of the work the pre-work i was doing in those thumbnails was really beneficial when working on other pages this week hell yeah and i am going so number one that's great number two i'm going to mirror you because my stated goals for the retreat were one finish basically finish the party and as far as I'm concerned, that story's finished. I'll probably give it like one more mild pass at some point. 
Um, but I, I pers- purposely mothballed it after doing it here. And I told you, I was like, I think I'm at the point where any change here is different and not better. Um, but I'll, I'll pass judgment one final time in a couple weeks when I'm ready to dethaw it and ideally send it off to some magazines to hope that I can get it in print. The second goal I had was to, I, I set a, what I think is an ambitious goal, which was, uh, this happened over President's Day weekend. And I had the Monday off. So my goal was by, you know, our creative retreat did not end on the Monday. It ended on the Sunday. But my goal was to be done with the Kadoja script. Kadoja Symphony of Madness number three by the time that I went to bed on Monday. And so I just, I was just easy about it. I said, hey, seven pages a day of script. That was my my logic. So 22 page comic, seven pages a day. So you'd figure if I was 14 pages through by the end of the retreat, I was on track. And much like you, I can't say I was 14 pages through, but I can say I was the equivalent of 14 pages through. Because by the time we, we left, I had gotten to page 18, but not all the pages were finished. And, and the reason which I think is helpful to talk about. I, I've made this mention before. God knows Scott heard about it a time or two at the retreat. <laughs> it, it's it's this idea of institutionalizing, internalizing what the most important thing a scene in a scene is for your comic script and, and doing that thing first because one thing is going to lead the scene And one thing is going to support it. And all I'm talking about here is words and actions. Because this is comics. Words and actions dance together. Little surprise, when it came to the action scenes, what I needed to do there was really script out what was happening in every single panel. This thing happens in this panel. This thing happens in this panel. This thing happens in this panel. And I wasn't in the mood to write the dialogue at that time because the dialogue just supports the action. The the action is the thing that drives that scene. It all connects with the things we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is where when you get these characters down enough in your stories, it's going to be super easy for you to place that dialogue. You put Cruz into a certain situation. You know her. You know Mm -hmm. how she's going to react to these these scenes, these incidences, you know, so it's, it's as long as you can place what she's doing in the scene, no matter what's going on or Kadoja, right. what's going on with Kadoja in the scene, you know how mm-hmm. Kadoja's going to react to things, you know? So exactly. as long as you know your characters, it's, it's simple enough to do and it's just going to flow out of you. Totally. I mean, yeah, to that point, the important thing in, you know, in, in volume two somewhere, Kadoja surprises everyone by blasting a, a, a white hot magnesium ray from an opening in its chest. So when I was writing that scene, the important thing was Kadoja blasts a white hot fucking magnesium ray from its chest because everything else is going to follow from that. That's going to make the people say their dialogue that's going to react to it. That's going to make them actually say, mobilize this, do that, do that. Kadoja just did this thing, right? So the action is what drives it. But on a similar note, there are plenty of scenes in Kadoja where the dialogue drives the note because we're we're going with the plot here. So what I found is that on a scene-to-scene basis, I was varying the thing I wanted to do first. I just wanted to do the most important thing in the scene 
whatever that thing was. And so by the time I was done, I got through page 18. I think that was roughly two thirds of the way through. And much like you to continue that post retreat midway through the next day, I had finished the script for issue three. Um, and, nice. and, and as we are recording, I am currently sitting on it. I, I did another pass today real quick. And this pass made me realize I need to do one more pass, which I'm going to do in a few days. I just, I, I still, I, I, the, the, the upside of a retreat is how much work you get done. The downside of a retreat is how much work you get done because <laughs> it, it burns you out a little bit. You know, like what I yeah. found even in reviewing this script today was I'm not ready to review this script. It's too fresh in my brain. And even in reading it today, I felt the exhaustion come back of just trying to grind out an entire script in three days. You know, so... Um, yeah, yeah. So we'll see. And and it'll it'll sit on the shelf just a little bit more. And then I'll get back to it in a few days when I have a fresh brain. But that basically takes us through the end of the retreat. Um, and then it's just a matter of if you did anything else. I did one more thing post retreat um, leading up to this recording. You know, it's funny because um, as I was uh, briefing my girlfriend, like when I would be back in town, you know, it's like, hey, we're leaving here. We're gonna go grab some lunch, then drive back to Keith's and then I'm going to drive home from there. And uh, she's just like, okay, are you going to be working when you get home? And it's just like, no, I, I won't work the rest of the day, you know. Mm-hmm. And and you do get that little breathing room because you put all the work in on that one day. So the following day, it's like you can take a breath, you know. You, yeah. you can give it a little bit of space, and sometimes it's a needed space. And then uh, she's like, are you going to be working the following day? And it's just like, yeah, of course I am. <laughs> it's yeah. like I'll give you one day where I don't. You goddamn right. Yeah, that, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Work, but uh, yeah, work, no, I, I work, was... work, work. Yes, Rihanna. That's right. Yeah, Rihanna. Yeah. She knows. She knows what it's about. Right. So yeah, I was definitely okay with giving up the rest of that day and kind of chilling out. Uh, plus, we had done the three hours of work before we left, so it was just like I got a lot of work yeah. done in you know this morning, and and I was able to do a couple more things, which was going to make the following day much easier for me when I started working again. You know, throwing down some figure skeletons and and going like, okay, I just got to draw the character on top of this and you know you do characters enough um you get to the point where you just kind of get in a vibe and a flow and and it was funny enough that the night of the retreat when we got to the nighttime where i was i was flying man i was flying we had so many different beers and then pounding the beers and then beers at dinner and by the time we got back to the house i was like hey man you know what i'm in a creative flow but like but i'm fucked up but like I'm in a creative flow. <laughs> <laughs> the important part is me being in a goddamn creative flow. <laughs> yes. But uh, I made it a point to take a screen cap of what I drew and show it to you the next day. Yeah. And like, cause I, you know, by the time, you know, you were done writing or, or taking a break, I had already been working on the figure that I had drawn the night before. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, dude, look at this. Th- these are all one line. This is just mm-hmm. like, I am in such the right, I'm in a Zen moment uh, when yeah. I was drawing this, that it was just one line. Everything was just one line. Everything worked. And it was just a matter of adding a uh, line weight to the character and uh, then moving on to the next thing. So yeah, man, just, I love when I get in those zones mm-hmm. and it just, it just works. Everything works. And a lot of that comes too from the pre-work, you know, when you're studying, when you're 
you, you know, looking at anatomy and just, uh, you know, practicing over and over again, you, the more pages you draw, the better you get at it. So when I get in those creative zones, it's like, you don't need to sketch. You can just mm -hmm. draw, you know, the right line, just put it down. Yeah. And, uh, when I get into the, those, the Zen moments, like I just whip them out and it's, it's, it's so nice, uh, in the moment. And then the next day to go like, were you that good? Or were you just really that fucked up? Yeah. And I was like, Hey, look, I wasn't that fucked up. Like, right. To not notice that this was actually good and it, and it is good. So, exactly. um, gotta love those things. Um, Release so, okay. y'all inhibitions. <laughs> anyway. Um, so every once in a while you just got to treat yourself. And, and yeah. I did. Yeah. The, uh, the last thing I did, uh, for this week was a, a couple of cover, a little bit of cover work. So it involves some flatting, but it also involves some redrawing of something. So Second Shift 13, the cover has been done for quite some time and to the point where I've started to ink it traditionally. So um, the way I work, I like to have physical copies of the covers or like cool splash pages. So what I'll do is I'll draw it digitally, I'll blue line it, I'll print it out and I'll ink that. So I had already started inking the cover because I was happy with it quite some time ago. And then looking at one part of the image, I was like, I'm not happy with that character. And so what I did was I went back in, I added another layer, I drew right on top of that character, I redrew the face, I was like, I like this way more, I changed the hands. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling this way more than the other piece. Um, and so the issue though is like, I already have half of it inked traditionally. So I'm thinking of doing the old school, like cutting out a piece and like a patchwork, you know, putting mm -hmm. it right on top and like there's just something in me that goes like it's just not as cool though like like it's interesting because to me it isn't as good i don't like patchwork covers but then when i see old school artists do it like there's something special to it and like mm -hmm. I, I don't know if i'm the guy to go like yeah i should just put the patch on it no one's gonna care the original art's still gonna be the original art and uh, so I'm kind of fighting the urge to just re-ink the whole thing or just to print it out and ink that one part and then stitch them together and post. So we'll, we'll see what I do there. Um, and so I had to reflat it, right, with the redrawn face and hands. And I was kind of in the zone to do something else like that today. I didn't feel like working on uh, Paradise Hills today. So I realized that I think a year, a year or so, ago my friends had gotten me a birthday present that birthday present was cover art by uh mike gustavich and mike gustavich he is famous for doing a couple of books um it is justice machine that is his his creator owned title that he did and i think it was with a comico and eclipse i can't remember i think i think it, those were the oh, this guy's been around Oh, yeah, he's been around since Fucking the... like Comico. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, through the 80s and the 90s. Um, and so he did a cover for me. <laughs> he worked for EC Comics. Like, Dude, wait, he what? worked what? for <laughs> First Comics, Comico, and Eclipse. Yeah, that's... So, hey, hello, yeah, hello, 1980s. Yeah. Yeah, definitely an old school guy. And honestly, I wasn't... I wasn't aware of his work until Steve had. Oh, so so Steve was one of the group of friends, one of the people in the group who put this together. He was the one that was spearheading it. So like that particular group of friends, we would just kind of chip in for really cool birthday presents. You know, just mm -hmm. like hey, put in twenty five bucks, fifty bucks, yeah. um, you know, whatever you could afford, right? And then you think of something cool to get the person. And so my gift that year was this cover, and so I've been sitting on it because um, it didn't really apply to issue ten, and 
I was like, you know what? It's kind of like just like a team pose. I but I think I had enough covers for that issue that I was like, no, I don't want to do a fourth cover. I like kind of doing three. So mm-hmm. I have room this Kickstarter for issue thirteen. So I started doing the flats for it, and that'll be kind of like a. I'm gonna kind of do a retro vibe to it. So since he yeah. is from the '80s and and um early '90s, and that's when he did primary primarily his work. I'm going to have that old school '80s vibe to the the cover as well. Nice, nice, dude. That's, uh, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. Um, okay, so I did one thing. In, in addition to, of course, finishing the, the first draft script for Kadoja Symphony of Madness number three, I started lettering Kadoja Symphony of Madness number two. Nice. And so as we record this, I am six pages in. Again, I had worked ahead a couple days, and boy, these last couple days have just gone sideways, um, but I am excited to get back to it and, uh, and get back to my pattern. My goal is just to letter two pages a day, because if I do that, then I'll still be done in, you know, 10 days, nine days, something like that, like a very small amount of time. And because I, like, man, my arm, my shoulder... Some of my muscles, they get jacked up if I do too much mouse thing stuff, right? So um, I'm limiting myself to two pages a day because I tend to get in a flow and want to do more. So maybe I'll do three, but what I don't want to do is feel the flow and do four because uh, it can really jack up like my whole neck, shoulder, back infrastructure because that's just who I be. But I did get six pages in and or five pages in with the bubbles done to six. And what's interesting is I haven't lettered, I mean, I lettered Symphony of Madness number one, but the difference is that Will Perkins did the sound effects for the last couple issues. And and I didn't, so the last two comics that I've lettered were both Will Perkins doing the drawing. This is the first non-Will Perkins comic I've lettered because I had a guy, uh, Eric Grissom, who's written a couple of great comic books on its own. He did the lettering to Kadoja Symphony of Madness number three. So this is the first time I've lettered, but with sound effects. And so that's what's been fun. I've been lettering. And of course, everything that we've talked about with economy of language applies. At least one bubble per panel is needs to be economized or said a different way. Often three or four bubbles need to be economized or said in a different way. Because, you know, dumbass me, I might write a comic script and have like a shit ton of dialogue in something that I describe as small panel. Okay, that's that's not fucking smart. Like, if you're a comic writer and you're identifying something as small panel, you better not have three whole things of dialogue in there, right? And that's the kind of shit that I did. So I had to at least cut it down to two and then get clever with the lettering, like maybe have one bubble in the panel and one bubble leaking over into the border, into the gutter, so it sort of flows you into the next panel. Um, but that's the kind of stuff I've been doing, and I've also been doing some sound effects on it. So uh, it's it's been a blast, and uh, it's amazing now that I'm paying close attention to the sound effects. It's amazing how much a sound effect can uh, can add just a simple little thing, and it's like, yep, that brings it all together. And without it, this page would be lost. So uh, so yeah, man, it was it was, it was super cool. That's great, man. And, That's uh, yeah. something you know, like I have been doing recently with Second Shift Thirteen. So it's it's cool that you're getting into it now, especially with doing like the sound effects as well. For sure, for sure. So uh, hey, that brings us to the end of the stuff we did this week, and I know it was a lot. And and what we'll probably do when it comes to titling this episode, I haven't figured it out yet, is we'll do something combining the retreat with the fact that it is time. 
party people for us to do an accountability check-in. So about a month ago, we asked uh, listeners of the podcast to like reach out to us and you know, we, we challenged you guys. We said, hey, we shared your we shared our accountability with you. If you want to share it with us, go for it. And uh, and we got some responses. And so what we're going to do is we're going to share all of them. Um, so why don't let's see. Let's you can start you, because you have you're, two, right? So I have you three. have two and you have th- I have two and you have three. So, yeah, why don't you give it a go? And hey, so thank you to all the creators that did get back to us. Um, we're going to we're going to share this stuff on the air. And and uh, and now it's on you. Now it's on you. All right, so these are the 2023 goals. Like Keith said, we both uh, had listed our goals and our calendars basically for the year, and it kind of goes, okay, well, this is this is what you want to do. The world knows it. So if you don't get done, hey, it's kind of on you, and the world knows that you did not succeed in getting these things done. So exactly, we appreciate those who did write into us and tens and of be millions of listeners of the Making <laughs> Comics podcast are going to know that you didn't hit your goal. That's right. Um, so yeah, the first guy that sent in something was Daniel Sawyer. Uh, Hey guys, thanks for putting the call out to action. I feel like I'm working in a vacuum. So the chance to share my goals feels really empowering. Number one, I'm going to Kickstarter the remaining four issues of my comic, No Man's Land. I've already drawn all the pages. They just need to be colored and digitized. Hey, that's really cool, man. You, you already have four issues drawn and they're just yeah. waiting to be lettered and whatnot and colored. So yeah. that's awesome. Uh, number two, make one additional comic from a different series. And number three, attend a Comic-Con. Thank you and keep up the great five-star experience. And that, again, yeah. is Daniel Sawyer. So thanks, Daniel. Daniel. Daniel, if if you happen to be so, just just a quick a quick advance plug for your boy Scott Lost and your boy Keith Foster, because we, I was actually talking to Rachel about this. I'm like, so hey, you know, like like this was a it was I was recapping the retreat and I was like, yeah, and, and Scott and I are probably going to hang out roughly once a month because we're we're doing we're doing like shows together, you know, we're like a we're like a fucking tandem, and then she was like, so what do you like like fucking Hall and Oates? And I'm like, <laughs> so I don't think Hall and Oates works because then it's immediately going to become a thing of like, well, which one of us is Daryl Hall? This is super important, <laughs> right? Because John John Oates did a lot of work, but John Oates tends to get viewed a little bit more like Andrew Ridgely. And if people don't know, I think that's his name, but if people don't know who Andrew Ridg- Ridgely is, he's the other half of Wham!, and uh, and I think we can all agree that George Michael did most of the heavy lifting there, <laughs> right? right? So so what I told Rachel is I think a better example is Run DMC because that way we can just decide which one of us is the Reverend Run and which one of us is is Daryl McDaniel's, right? It, this is this is equal shit. Um, but I was talking about the places we were going. So Daniel, I'm we're not sure where you, I, I'm not sure where you live, but if you live in uh, Southern California, then Scott and I are at WonderCon at the end of March. If you live in the great desert plains of Nevada, we will be there at the end of April. And if you live in the Arizona area, we will be there at the beginning of of June. So if you're attending a Comic-Con, swing by, man. We'd love it. And uh, and we'd love to chop it up with you at our at our booth. So who knows where the hell you are, man, but uh you'll you'll probably let us know once you hear this. 
I have some shorter ones um, because Scott is handling all of the emails we got, but we both had some people hit us up direct via Instagram. I think that's where I got a lot of mine. And uh, so the first one is from Ian D. Walker, who, by the way, um, I I should mention this. He did comment that uh, (laughs) I had a line. You were saying something about a beer being thick, and I was like, T-H-I-C-C, like the big butts. And he he (laughs) shouted that out. So I do do appreciate that. Um, It was definitely alcohol-fueled, but it was a fun thing to say. So Ian has put himself on the hook. So Ian, uh, I hope you're listening, that your comic Pantheon... um, the goal is to have the first six issues of the comic Pantheon written by the end of June. So June 2023, Ian D. Walker, writing your comic Pantheon. By the way, that sounds pretty ambitious, man. I'm impressed. You know, you're going for the first six issues of a book that, um, you know, I've looked at some panels on it. It looks pretty cool. I'm excited to see more there. And it sounds like he has a lot more in store. Right on. Um, the next person we got is Daniel Side. Um, so two Daniels in a row for me over here. Hey, Keith and Scott, first want to say thank you. Thank you guys for doing your podcast. I enjoy listening every week. Very helpful as well as entertaining in response to your offer for listeners to share their goals for this year and the future. Uh, here is what I got. Uh, Project The Bridge, a three-part issue graphic novel. Uh, I write the story and do the art and will pay someone to do the lettering. Don't feel like you need to do everything. So good thing. Uh, yeah. Out. Send out that work to that letterer for sure. Uh, number one, complete issue two, chapter two, by March 2024, 28 interior pages. Okay. Uh, two, com- complete issue uh, chapter three by September 2025. So he's he's kind of given himself um, over a year per issue. So he's, mm-hmm. you know, more than likely... Oh, yeah, he, here we go. Uh, my work and my family life is pretty busy. Three kids under the age of five. Uh, at the moment yikes uh but i'm able to budget about six to seven hours a week or 25 hours a month total for my project or toward my project each page takes about 15 to 20 hours uh that's pretty standard so like yeah i would say before i was working digitally i was taking 15 to 20 hours per page now it's somewhere closer to 10 Mm -hmm. um so 15 to 20 hours per, per page um i like to work in stages I've also attached the first five pages from the issue I'm currently working on, which are pretty much finished. Based on the detail, do you guys think 12 plus minus hours for line art, five plus minus for the coloring is reasonable? Uh, I'd love to speed things up, but when I do, the art definitely suffers. Hoping to be able to budget for someone else to do the color flats in the future. Um, I think what you have planned as far as the drawing part uh, is perfectly fine. Like I said, that was kind of my standard for quite some time, 15 to 20 hours per page. And then after going digital, it just moved things a lot, uh, a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, this project is my first comic project, so I'm treating it as a learning experience slash Ashcan type project, then plan to take what I've learned to do something more professional slash marketable in the future. Thanks again for the shows. Looking forward to seeing what you guys have coming out this year. Thanks, Daniel Side. All right. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, so Daniel had some some really dope shit in there. I, I hope I remember it because my beer is kicking in. Um, but the first thing I wanted to mention is I appreciate, first of all, I appreciate spreadsheets. We know this. Second of all, I appreciate that that, on, on one hand, you hear 2024 and you hear 2025 and you're like, wow, that is way out there. But on the other hand, you hear the way that he has built that plan. And I'm really impressed. It sounds realistic. And, and most importantly, 
to all the people listening out there, whether you gave us dates or whether you, well, if you gave us dates, then, you know, I suppose you're exempt from this one. But if you're working on your project and you didn't want to connect with us, hey, man, that's totally cool. The important thing is to set a date, set a realistic date, right? If you're the kind of person that likes to push yourself, then set a date that pushes yourself. Scott and I are those type of people. But that doesn't mean it has to be you. Because guess what? If you get to 2025 and you've done two, maybe, you know, what is it? Two comics since between 2023 and 25. That's two more comics than most of the goddamn planet. And you should be proud of that because you've got shit going on. So I'm, I'm super impressed with that. Three, three kids under the age of five. I'm impressed. So props to you for even carving out a minute a week for you to do that stuff. And hey, we're pulling for you and, and, and we're here for you. So I got another Instagram message. We're on to person number four here. And this is from Nicholas Slover, who, of course, hit us up and uh, and thanked uh, you and I for the, for the podcast, which, of course, I appreciate. And he had some goals here, and I'm going to share them. Um, so number one, finish. So Nicholas Slover, number one, finish my comic and have it printed in time for a free comic book day event. Oh, there you go. Hey, we're already up on that date, Nicholas. So just, just uh, you know, I'm sure you know how long print times run, but odds are they run from two to five weeks. So by the time this airs, you pro- hopefully you're cranking on that comic, right? And hopefully you're really close and you can still get it printed in time for free comic book day, which is usually the first Saturday in May, if I remember right. Correct. Um, and then so goal number two, finish a 10-page submission for an anthology due in September. Okay. Also very cool, you know, to, to get from free comic book day to September with, with a 10 page submission. And then number three, start working on my next book to pitch to a small publisher. Okay. The last one we have is by Luke Watkins. Uh, Keith and Scott, I have had this story idea in my head for over five years now. Although I always enjoyed comics and writing, Bringing the story to life in a comic didn't cross my mind, not until last year when I started listening to the Making Comics podcast. I have been kicking around a very loose script for the past eight months now, but it's time to get her done. Listening to you guys discuss your passion for making comics and novels, some beer discussion, and occasional basketball rants uh, has given me the occasional. drive. Occasional <laughs> has given me the drive to set something meaning, uh, some meaningful goals. Offering to help hold accountable those of us who want to bring our creations to life is amazing. I truly appreciate both of you not only the hard work you have done creating comics and soon-to-be printed novel, but also offering your wins, losses, wisdom, and passions in the podcast for us all to learn and grow from. Uh, My goals, complete first draft due date 3-18-2023. Complete second draft 4-15-2023. Send out for notes. Hire artists. Complete third draft due date 5-12-2023. Send to artists. Prepare for Kickstarter. Drink a beer. Uh, Kickstarter launch. Target date August 1st. I'm always open to suggestions to the dates and any other feedback either of you have. I work full-time in my family business, so finding time will be a challenge, but I am determined to have the first book in this story arc printed in 2023 and continue with more uh, at a quicker rate. Extremely excited to see how this comes to life. Thank you for being amazing, Luke Watkins. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, Luke. Boy, Scott, are those, like, in in the Scott Lost world... Is that not some sexy, sexy German precision with him out of the dates? Oh, man. 
a man after my own heart with those exact yeah. dates. I really do like, appreciate that. No time, Luke? What's up with that? Like, why didn't you put the time of day? <laughs> Uh, but hey, if we got any other creators out there that want to throw us your lists, if listening to this episode kind of inspired you to go, you know what? I'm not bitching out. I'm going to send them the list so I can hold myself accountable. Send them over. We'll read them on the air for sure. Hell yeah. Never too late. Never too late. We'll we'll be checking in on stuff like this every now and then. And uh, and yeah, hey, good luck. Um, you don't need it. Get out there and finish your comics and uh, and we're pulling for you and we're here for you. And with that, Scott, a high octane, motherfucking five star, bringing the bullshit. It's time. It's time. Can I okay. can I start well, this off? Can I can I start this off by saying, do you think both of our ladies hate when we hang out together? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This this last one came at a price, literally at a price. Okay, so um, I think but I, I got one. I got one before we get into that. Yeah, go for it. And it's a good one, and it goes back to the retreat. Yeah. Keith finally watched the first 11 minutes of Up. Yes, I did. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And good news, guys. He's not a monster. I'm not a monster. I I mean, it's one of those things of like, we did. I, I wanted to look at that. You talked about it on the podcast. Gary talked about it in the Making Comics chat. It's something that that we, you know, that that particular economy of storytelling is something that's fascinating. And so uh, I was like, yeah, man, I really do want to watch the first, you know, 11 minutes of up or whatever it is. And of course, I know I know how it's going to end. I know I know that part has been spoiled. And I start to watch. I'm like, this is really good. And oh, fuck, like eight minutes in. Well, I think what was it, Scott? Seven minutes in, I think I sniffled because I had allergies or, you know, I had a fucking runny nose. And then at the eight minute mark, when I started sniffling, it wasn't because of that, man. I was like, oh, my God, I know where this is going. And, dude, I, I had I had tears coming out of both eyes by the time we got to the end of it. It was unbelievable. For those of you out there that have not watched the first 10, 11 minutes of Up, whatever it is, just just watch it. It's, it is a masterclass in storytelling. It is look you can take lessons from it and that's what we were talking about afterwards once i had actually calmed the hell down right like we talked about the kind of lessons that we can take from those first 11 minutes of up and there are some devices that are being used there which it doesn't take a genius to figure out so if you haven't watched it watch it if you've watched it watch it again that is some there there are some great lessons in that first little bit of up that can apply to your story no matter what it is yeah, absolutely. And I was right there with you. I've seen the movie at least five times. And, um, you know, around this a marker where you're sniffling and holding it or not holding it back. I was yeah. I was like, keep it together, man. Just keep it together. <laughs> like inside, I was just like, and I could feel um, just my eyes quivering, trying to hold back the tears as I'm watching it. So yeah. it's just a, like you said, the perfect way. It's a master class of storytelling. So do yourself a yeah. favor. If you haven't seen it or if you just haven't seen it in a while, just go watch the first 11 minutes. And it's like 10 minutes from uh, it's like 10 minutes and 35 seconds, something like that. So, yeah, it's not a lot yeah. of time. And it's just a great reminder on what you can do in such a short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. And so with that, let's actually get into our high octane bullshit. I'm going to set this up a little bit, Scott, and and we'll know when I can hand it off to you. So. We're, we're working on stuff. It's hardcore creative stuff. Creative work. You need breaks. And so I took a break 
And for the hell of it, the break I took. Yeah, man. And for the for, <laughs> knocking shit over over here. Yeah, fuck it, fuck them, fuck everything, right? Uh, You're taking a break. I'm just breaking things. Yeah, exactly. Give me something to break. Uh, so I took a break, and uh, and because um, I haven't seen it yet, but you know, Avengers or uh, sorry, Ant Man, Quantum Mania is out. K- Kang is in it. Uh, that is, if if that's a spoiler, then man, am I impressed? Man, am I impressed how you can avoid all media if you didn't even know Kang was in the movie? But uh, but yeah, I so, almost did. I almost avoided it all up until I think like two or three weeks ago. Okay, okay, yeah, well done, well done. But uh, you know, I started looking at Avengers number eight, first appearance of Kang, and I was looking for a low grade copy, and I was like, eh. You know, like I, I've had the, I haven't had a bug for collecting comics in a while. I've just been buying my new comics, but I could feel it stirring. And so in looking at Avengers number eight, what I came across was a very inexpensive copy of Fantastic Four number 49. And it was at a buy it now price. It was at a buy it now price that without me getting into the numbers. So we're just going to make this number X, Scott. Hold on for a second. I'm going to edit this out. Okay. So that X is about a third of what I paid for my copy of Fantastic Four a couple years ago when I treated myself to my 50th birthday. Now, my copy is in much better shape, but still, a comic at the third of the price, even at low grade, is really good. So that just pops up in my feed, and I'm like, but I already have Fantastic Four 49. But on the other hand, the secret to, to investing is to know when you see value. And so I was thinking about it and I told you about it. I verbalized it. And you're like, okay. And you, you said, let me see the picture. And you're like, if you don't go for that, let me know. And I'm like, yeah. All right, motherfucker. Give me a chance. Give me a goddamn chance. I might need to sleep. I'm the one that found it. Let me, (laughs) I'm the one that found it. it. Just, you know, I mean, look, we have honor among thieves here, right? Whoever finds it gets first dibs. And, uh, and then I woke up the next day and I thought about it some more, but I wasn't ready. We, we finish our retreat. We go back to our separate locations. I'm just sitting there staring at it. I decide I don't want it. And so what I was looking at was the fact that it didn't appear to have staples. So it had a buy it now price and it was non-negotiable. And I told you, I'm like, hey, you can go for this if you want. But be warned, I don't think it has staples. And this person, this person is either being ignorant or willfully ignorant and only posting some very basic photos that don't make it clear whether there are staples or not. Right. I think it was just two photos, right? Front and back. Two photos, it. front and back. Not, not, not that traditional open cover photo that you have to show what the staples look like. That it's, it's still attached. That it's still attached. So with that, Scott, I'm going to hand it off to you. You can pick it up you, from here. Yeah. So, so you sent over the link. You're like, have at it. You know, uh, I'm not quite sure if they have staples, right? So what I did was message the guy. I was just like, hey, man, um, do you have any more photos of this this book? Is the cover attached? Are there staples? I can't really tell based off of these photos. And, um, you know, I told Keith, I was just like, yeah, so this is what I said to him, just waiting. He goes, oh, good idea. And then I got a notice that uh, the item was no longer available. Someone had bought it. And... I was just like, oh, man, I sent him a screen cap. I sent Keith a screen cap, letting him know ah, it's no longer available. Uh, I missed out. I should have just bought it. And Keith said, actually, I think you dodged a bullet. I don't think the staples were there. And um, the price is uh, it's not it's not unique to this time. You know, there's other copies available. And I was like, oh, right on. 
And so right away, you sent me a link to another copy and that copy happened to be slapped already. And I think it was like a 1.5 or something like that. And, uh, but this is, this is an older copy. So slabbing a comic of that era usually will run you anywhere from like a hundred to $200, something like that. Yeah. And I also think it's based off of the grade that it gets. So the higher the grade, the more the book's going to cost. And, uh, so that, that in itself kind of made it worth it. And not only that, it was the exact same price of the comic with potentially the missing staples. So mm -hmm. I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, this is a better deal already because it's already slabbed. You know, you know what it's going to come back as. The process alone costs a lot of money. And what they were asking was very reasonable. Like Keith said, it was a, it was a X. third a third of the price yeah exactly like within five dollars of what the original x was but it's graded and it's slabbed and, and at least you know what you're in for yeah like this ended at like 59 and the other one was like 50 you know yeah and so uh but the the beauty of this slabbed version was it had a obo or best offer and i was like Hey man, I'm gonna I'm gonna try for this flat number. Just knock off that fifty bucks completely, mm -hmm. and we'll see what happens. They took it. Yeah, <laughs> they took it. So yeah. I I got a steal, um, and like Keith alluded to, our ladies probably are not too happy when we hang out because we do stuff like this, <laughs> and uh, it was one of those impulse buys too that. I kind of forgot to consult the lady on, yeah. on this big purchase. And that's that's been a stipulation of ours for quite some time now. Like we're trying to tighten things up and save for a house and all of that. So me buying a very pricey comic book uh, was not on the docket. Yeah. So when I told her, she was none too happy. and But I did let her know. I was like, look, if Galactus shows up in the MCU, I'll flip this bitch. Like, yeah. like I, I think Galactus is cool, but he's not... I wasn't a huge Fantastic Four fan like Keith was. You're not me. And you know, yeah. yeah. So like Keith, like for Keith, it's anything FF. That's his jam. Me, I'm I've been X Men kid uh, growing up. So like that was that was my shit, you know. And then I moved to Image, but so I was like, I I could let it go if he shows up in the MCU. Yeah. You know, yeah. I I can flip this and and you know, it's just I I recognize value as a collector. I'm like, this is something I can afford right now. Um, I can either throw it on a credit card or dip into my savings, but either yeah. way, the value of this item is totally worth it. So I was happy to get it, especially at that price point, and I'm looking forward to when it does show up. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, for me, Fantastic 49 was my stated dream book a year mm -hmm. before I even thought about it, right? Like, I love the... It's it's my favorite cover of all time. It is um it is the appearance of arguably my favorite MCU character. You know the most Lovecraftian MCU character I think that you can have out there. Um, although I think there have been some recent editions that are a little bit more than that. But uh, but you know I can talk about them another day. But but to to quote so that's the end of that story. But to quote the immortal LL Cool J, that story is over. But my rhyme ain't done. <laughs> so after after doing this public service for Scott, public service in quotes, <laughs> right? <laughs> sure. uh, uh, what what I sat around thinking was, all right, I'm into collecting cups. So I found myself looking at Avengers Eight again, and then I was like, why why am I not excited about Avengers Eight? And here's why: because I'm not a Kang guy. I like Kang. I think Kang is a cool character, 
but I don't collect as much for just arbitrage, right? I collect for personal value too. So for me, when I'm spending a lot of money on a book, I need to feel a real personal connection with it, or it has to be a character I absolutely love. That's why over the course of this podcast, I've bought Sandman number one, Sandman number eight, Fantastic Four 49, Star Wars 68, that's the first appearance of the Mandalorians, first mention of the Mandalorians, something is a killing the children, etc. right? In terms of getting slabbed, Infinity Gauntlet, a book that made a lot, like I've just named a lot of my slab books. Not a lot of them are super valuable, but they mean a lot to me. So I was, I was like, but what, what straw stirs my drink? And something that I may have stated on this podcast or not, but that I have definitely stated to friends, including Scott, is that Fantastic Four number five is my grailist of grails. That is Dr. Doom's first appearance. You're never going to believe this party, people. But that's a fuck of a lot of money for Dr. Doom's first appearance. <laughs> because Doc, and, and like, who knows how much of it is Dr. Doom's first appearance and who much knows, you know, who knows whether it's just, it's the fifth fucking issue of Fantastic Four, you know? So frame of reference, if you want a slabbed 1.0, 1.0, a complete piece of garbage, <laughs> for Fantastic Four number five, it is $5,000, just as an idea, okay? Keith don't have $5,000. Keith doesn't have anything goddamn close to $5,000. But then I started to, to think about like, okay, what about Dr. Doom's second appearance? What's that go for? Say, that same 1.0 for Dr. Doom's second appearance? $900, $1,000. Okay, well, now we're, you know, look, that's still a a once a decade kind of dream there, homeboy. Right. But yeah. but it's it's not insane, you know. Doctor Doom's third appearance, even less of six hundred bucks for a one maybe something like that, and so on and so on and so on. So for me, I uh, I was like, okay, what kind of Doctor Doom appearances we looking at? And I started to look, and I started to look, and then before you know it, I found what I thought was an excellent deal, an excellent deal for I think it's either a three or a three point five Scott slabbed of what is Dr. Doom's fourth appearance, Fantastic Four number 16. And it had to buy it now. And it was hundreds of dollars less than the going price on the exact same comic at the exact same uh, condition through other people. So I bought that motherfucker. That's what I did. That's who I be. And, uh, and what was, but what was interesting is when I was talking to my wife about it, her actual issue was not with the spending the money. Her issue was that she thought it was a poor investment. I was fascinated by this. I'm like, she was like, why, why is that a good investment? And, and I'm like, well, reason number one is that his first, because she's like, why wouldn't you just get first appearance? I'm like, did you miss the part where I said a 1.0 is 5,000 fucking dollars? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I, I can't invest in that. That's like saying, well, Google's a good bet. Why don't you invest in Google? Because a share of it is $900. That's why. <laughs> You know, like, you know, that that's the reason. Um, go ahead. The the only. OK, so like I would I would say it would be a good investment if it was signed by Stanley or Jack Kirby, number one. And that's and that's what I did with with my X-Men number one. And, and granted, it was in 2017 or 18. I can't remember at this point. Um, Stan had already passed. Um, 
but I ended up spending $3,550, but my max bet was going to be $4,500. And for me, it was a good investment because I know Stan was very up there in years. He's the face of Marvel. He's the face of comics in a lot of- yeah, he's yeah. In, in a lot of people's eyes, he's the face of comics, right? Right. So it's just like, okay, this is a solid investment. So I could live with me spending four thousand five hundred dollars on it because of who he is, and I knew he was going to pass sooner than later. Yeah. And it's like, okay, if I get this, he's not going to be around to sign any more of these books. And plus, mm-hmm. it's X Men number one again. Like I said, I was an X Men kid growing up, so obviously mm-hmm. it was my grail of grails. And, um, you know, to get it at that amount was a fucking steal, number one, because they're always buy it now. They're never auction. Mm -hmm. And um, the countdown, the last 15 minutes of this thing, it was at $2,000. I was like, this is insane. There's no way it's going for that little. And I was shocked to get it for $3,550. I was like, what? So, yeah. yeah. So if you could find a Dr. Doom first appearance on an auction... That would be amazing. And then if you could find one signed by Stan, I mean, I'd imagine that's a crazy price tag now. Yeah. There's no fucking way. There's, but, but, but here's what's interesting. Again, I was fascinated about the fact that my wife just thought that wasn't as good of an investment. So I looked up articles. And while I can't say how it holds for third or fourth appearances, the fascinating thing is that second appearances, Scott, appreciate at the exact same percentage that first appearances do. They're just less money. So the appreciation on a raw number level is less, but on a percentage basis, it's identical. So if you bought 10 second appearances and and a second appearance was one-tenth the value of a first appearance, you would make the exact same amount of money if you chose to flip those things. And But what I like is a smaller barrier to entry, and especially what I like is Dr. Doom. So I, I went ahead and did that because, I mean, it's, it's about appreciation. It's about, you know, quote unquote investment, but it's what what it's really about is me enjoying myself and having a cool thing to collect. And I like the idea of, you know, having this hashtag goal of maybe collecting his second through 15th appearance or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And it's just a fun thing to look at because Scott, that story is over, but my rhyme ain't done. Can you hear the hail, by the way? Can you hear the hail? Oh, dude, it was hailing over here yesterday. It's coming down right now as well over here in San Oh, okay. Diego. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. if it's there's... hailing outside, but it was yesterday. Oh, yeah, there's some serious-ass hail, I imagine. I can hear in fact, let's, for sure. Yeah, let's just, let's just wait a, a minute. It just died down, so I think that works pretty okay. well. Because, again, that story is over, but my rhyme ain't done. Because you, Scott Lost, sent me a link this morning that was Avengers number 25, right? Actually, it is hailing a little bit. So pop, pop on. You, you do it. Okay, I'll meet myself. Okay. All right. So Keith got that. Doctor Doom. What was it the fourth appearance? You said fourth. Fourth. Okay. So after I had purchased that Fantastic Four, uh, Fantastic Four forty nine, I guess it kind of got on my eBay uh, radar. Because I have a couple of books I have notices for. It's an, an X-Men book. It's the first appearance of, an, of a character. And so every morning I'll get a couple of emails in saying, hey, um, you know, th- these books came in with your prompt notification. And also, you might uh, you might like these items. 
And one of those items just so happened to be an Avengers comic. I be Avengers 25, was it? Yes. Avengers 25, buy it now at a very, very reasonable price to the point where I debated on looking it up to see what it went for on the regular and seeing if maybe I wanted to buy it because it was, you know, it was cheap for an Avengers 25. And I was just like, I wonder what the going rate is. Maybe I'll pick that up. But at the same time, I was like, it's Dr. Doom. Dr. Doom's not my guy, but I know a guy that loves <laughs> Dr. Doom. Yeah. Yeah. You know a guy. You know a guy. And uh, and so, yeah, you send me that link. And uh, first of all, the first thing I thought with that link was like, man, man, fuck this guy. <laughs> right? Like, because sure enough, you're right. I looked it up and I was like, my God, this price was not only a buy it now, but it was or make offer. And it was legit like half, if not less than half of what all the other books were doing. Now, it is not oh, slabbed. Wow. It is not slabbed, but I think I know enough about it to say that it's safe to say that it's like a 1.8, something like that. Yeah, it right? looks like, like a reader copy. I think and, it, had and, that, it had that crease down the middle too, right? Yes, yes. And like if you guys don't know, if you ever see old school comics and it has a crease down the middle, that means it was folded in half and sent through the mail. Yeah. So you would, uh, you know, Marvel and DC, they used to have these um, uh, uh, subscription bases where you can check off okay i want this book this book this book and every time those books came out that month they would just mail it to you at a fraction of yeah. the cost of what it would cost on the rack it's actually a really good deal yeah 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 good stuff which was probably like three cents instead of ten right, like right? Back, yeah. back in the day right but uh but fascinating thing scott there there was like an almost identical version that was like almost triple the price now it was oh, slabbed wow. um so the slab accounts for a lot of it but uh but anyway so yeah i i did not buy it now i did a or best offer which was basically about 20% off the price that you had even given me and then the person accepted and I paid earlier today and uh, yeah so again to quote LL Cool J that story is over and my rhyme is done for now (laughs) (laughs) for now Um, until we find something else yeah for me it opened the floodgates that Fantastic Four 49 it was just like what else is out there you know Mm -hmm. and I was watching a YouTube show and they were showing off this book it was a uh, giant size X-Men annual number nine. And the thing I liked about this book was it had art by art, art Adams. And I've stated that a few months back that I kind of wanted to just start collecting all, all of the books art Adams has done because his bibliography is not that large. Like you can yeah. get pretty much all of his books. And I think it might be around 24 books total. Like at the most, I really don't think he's done that many interiors. Mm-hmm. And um, it was kind of like his first year or two working is kind of what he built his career off of because it was like a bunch of annuals, the long shot miniseries, and everyone's like, this guy's amazing. And then he was just kind of living off of covers, you mm-hmm. know, for the rest of his career, just charging a premium and doing that. And hey, if you can get away with it, then go for it. You know, there's many artists that do such a thing. And um, his work's just so spectacular. It's, it's you know, I want to collect all the interiors that I could. So uh, seeing this book, Giant Size uh, X-Men Annual Number 9, I picked it up. I got it for a good rate. I think I got it for um, a guy was selling it for $10 free shipping. And I just started, I was like, oh, I'll put it on my watch list. And before I knew it, a day later, he had offered a, uh, a discounted price. Mm-hmm. And it said, make counter offer or accept offer. I was like, oh, I'll make a counter offer. So yeah. I made a counter of 750. I was just like, hey, that accounts for the book. 
So seven fifty. That's three fifty for the comic, three fifty for shipping, seven seven bucks or or you know whatever, uh, three seventy five, right? Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And oh, so I, I put the offer in, and he took it. So oh, yeah, yeah, easy peasy. There's another Art Adams book off of the checklist, and uh, unfortunately, I have so many other books that I have put on my list because uh, just the you know. You get clean for a while. This is what it's yeah. like to be an addict, I'd imagine, yeah. of other things. Absolutely. Like, I I get clean for a while. I don't crave buying comic books. And then all of a sudden, I just get this great hit. And then I just need more and more and more. And it's just yeah. like, God, I need to chill out. But uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think... You know, if, if you listen back about five minutes ago, you'll notice that I said from Dr. Doom's fourth appearance to his 15th appearance. And yeah. now you know that the reason that I said 15th appearance is because of the comic that I just purchased today. I did not think that I was going to be this interested in deep cut Dr. Doom appearances all the way down to 15. Now that that particular cover for Avengers 25, it's iconic. It's a it's a very well-known cover in comic circles. So we'll see how much of this gauntlet I want to do but uh you know it's again for me it's a fun thing to have as like an aspirational goal a fun thing to look at every now and then you know like spend the money save the money and then be like okay I can I can dip my toe in the waters again and then go from there right so uh, but anyway so yeah it, it's it's nice and maybe someday I have appearances 2 through 15 and that feels pretty cool and then who knows maybe maybe I get a book deal someday and that first appearance pops off too so oh yeah all, definitely all in due time all in due time uh, but hey, we've made it. We've made it to the end of the episode. So you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. You can also hit me up, as so many of you wonderful people do, with whatever comic stuff you want to talk about. Of course, I'm there to uh, not only share photos of my life, but I'm also talking about my books, Kadojin Three Protectors. You can get both of those books, and once the upcoming Animals comes out, um, you'll also be able to get that book at my website, KeithRFoster.com. Kadoja is Giant Monsters Meet HP Lovecraft, and Three Protectors is Kung Fu in Space. KeithRFoster.com, you can get it all there. And you can find my books uh, on the website, accidentalaliens.com. Man, the economy of word this episode is not flowing. I'm using way too many words that I don't need, but hey, <laughs> accidentalaliens.com. You can find my books, Second Shift, Minimum Wage Workers During the Day, Superheroes at Night, and Wanderers of Melisande, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, all at accidentalaliens.com. If you want to follow me on social media, you can go to at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram, and facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Scott. We got to rate these beers, Playboy. Oh, yes. Yes. We do. So we're going to take a little pause here. So you rate yours first because we're going to have a little bit of a story that leads into my beer. Oh, that's right. Um, so El Segundo Brewing Company, Steve Austin's Broken Skull American Lager. It is 4.8 ABV. Um, I give this for a lager, a standard lager. It's pretty solid. I really did like the flavor of it. It kind of had a smooth finish, and um, it wasn't overpowering, and uh, I really enjoyed it. 7.5. All right. All right. That's solid. That's solid. Okay, so we're going to talk about this beer. So when we when we wanted to take that nice dinner break on the first day of our creative retreat, the only night that we were actually staying over, we went into Lake Arrowhead Village. And I had told you, you know, there's a restaurant I love there. It's the Lakefront Tap Room. I've done at least 10 hours of writing there, maybe 12, maybe 20. Depends on how many times I've been there. But every time I go there, I'm usually there for about an hour and a half. And uh, so we went to Lakefront Tap Room. 
they told us that the wait was going to be an hour and we're like yeah we went no right problem. at dinner time it was popping yeah. off over there no problem we'll put our name in for an hour right we start walking around in lake arrowhead village i meander into this wine place this winery that uh that's not too far from there along the uh the kind of strip of of stores and i was like oh they brew their own beer i wonder if they've brewed anything interesting so as i'm looking at the beers inside you then come to me and you say, Keith, did you see that there's this thing, you know, Dragon's Milk Bourbon Barrel Stout on draft? And I'm like, what? And you're like, yeah, yeah. Now, I had kind of heard of it before, but for some reason it had never come together. That was a bourbon barrel stout. If you'd asked me before you said that what Dragon's Milk was, I'd have been like, oh, it's a stout. I didn't know it was a bourbon barrel. So we then decided that, hey, we got an hour. We're going to knock back one of these. Uh, the inside was completely jammed, so we went and sat out on their balcony, which overlooks Lake Arrowhead and is quite awesome. It was really chilly that night. And for what it's worth, by the way, that since it's a wine place, they have these wine tasting things. And there was this couple that had this fucking like they serve this monstrosity <laughs> with like 10 wine glasses on it. It's like a it's like a black wire metal monstrosity that has all these wines. I even commented on like that is a goddamn thing to taste wine. Right. And then I think you had to say like, hey, hey, my friend's impressed. <laughs> yeah, because like, we were walking by as you saw it. It was like a, it looked like a candelabra full of wine glasses. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you're like, well, that's a fuckload of wine as you yeah. walked by. <laughs> and I turned back and looked at them and they were not happy looking. Yeah. Uh, that what you said, you know, offended, to the, offended them to a degree. And I was like, oh, no, no, it's no judgment. We're just saying that's a lot of wine. And that is a shitload of wine. And uh, we're like, we're here for the same thing. So don't worry about it. And they got very happy. And they're all, it is a lot of wine. So yeah, you know, they were on uh, board That's what I don't get. That. I don't get, like, look, me and my buddy, we're here in a fucking wine place. And I'm saying that's a fuckload of wine. Why would you take offense to that? Right? Like, I don't that's, know. Everyone's sensitive. <laughs> yeah. Don't be sensitive, bitch. Right? Like, <laughs> like, it's just that simple. So anyway, we sit on the corner. And then uh, the bartender, who was actually super hilarious, right? He was he was a cool dude. He uh, like we're we're immediately like we're taking these two, right? So we grab those, we we get them served, and we start to drink these things. We're like, this is goddamn delicious. Like stouts, cold weather, mm, just that's good living. That's good fucking living, right? And so and we're they filled those that. things to the brim. They, oh my god, that's right. He actually spilled some. It was like it was the, it was so full, right? Those those glasses. And, um, and uh, he had made a comment. He said uh, a couple of things. He, he brought them to us. And I was like, oh, shit, they really filled that thing to the top. And uh, he goes, yeah, I was kind of mad at the guy. <laughs> he goes, because I, I had to carry him out here. And That's so right. he puts them down. And he goes, we had a guy here earlier drank six, six of these things. <laughs> and we're like, oh, it was it five, really? It was five. It was five. And I was like, what the fuck? Five? Because what was the percentage? Like 11 or something? It's 11. It's 11%. He, yeah. Yeah, it's 11%. And he had five of them. I was like, was he alive by the time he left? And he, yeah. he goes, he was. He wasn't, you know, walking straight or whatever. And he goes, yeah. hey, I'm challenging you guys to get to six. <laughs> if you, I tell everybody, that's right. Now he said, I tell everybody that if you drink six, they're all on me. But you have to drink all six. <laughs> right? No, he said, um, he said, if you drink six, it's on me. And I was like, all six or just that last round? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so five of those things is a power rating well over 600. And, yeah, uh, and you and I, you and I at our drunkest or at our buzziest on this podcast have a power rating of 200 a person. 
So we're just <laughs> we're just giving you an idea. By the way, honorable mention should be that on the Friday night before we went up, um, you we we had a half a beer. And uh, oh, and man. I was like, oh yeah, dude. Uh, hey, you want some? You want some whiskey? And you're like, fuck yeah, I want some whiskey. So we we're just sitting there, dude. I poured us these honkers, right? Because you said two fingers. Well, I have pretty fat fingers, so I put two fat fingers in this thing. They were <laughs> they were monsters, right? Like I didn't even realize yeah. it. I put it to you, and you're like, holy shit, dude, that's a lot of whiskey, <laughs> right? And uh, we drank it all, and we were oh, man. flying. We were yeah. flying. Oh my god, that was a great oh, way god. to started off to start off the weekend you know like um yeah so i drove up from, from san diego uh, crashed at keith so we did have a beer when i got there and then we we followed up with that whiskey and uh yeah man we were definitely flying that night it was we yeah. were both feeling good by the time we went to oh, sleep hell so. yes hell yes hell yes so anyway so uh we're we're halfway through our our uh, dragon's milks our goddamn buzzer goes off for the table. They, we got called in 25 minutes, not an hour. So we're like, fuck it, pound them, <laughs> right? So we pound yeah. them. You, dude, you are not supposed to pound these beers, okay? Like, no. bourbon barrel stouts are not meant to be pounded. And But we did it anyway. We got the hell out of there. And then by the time we had sat down, we sit down at Lakefront Tap, tap Room, and the guy's like, hey, can I get you guys something to drink? And then you were like, yeah, I was thinking of uh, this beer right here. And you're like, wait are we drinking here? And I was like, we are now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause the plan was to just have one in town. We yeah. had one before we left and then one in town. And then we yeah. were going to eat and chill out for a little bit and then drive yeah. back up. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we went, we, had we three. went, we went all the way. Yeah. We went all the way anyway. So, <laughs> so, uh, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that stout so much that I went ahead and I, the only place around me that had it was BevMo. I actually placed an order online and picked it up about two hours before we recorded. I threw it in the freezer. It was a perfect level of cold. I give this Dragon's Milk an 8.0. 8.0 for Solid a barrel stone. I yeah. agree. How about you? Yeah, same thing exactly. In eight. Agreed. It was it was so good um, at Lake Arrowhead. It was cold out. The beer was cold. We had our, our beanies and our thick jackets on. It was yeah. It was a great time. And uh, just chopping it up. And, and uh, so, yeah, I, 8, 8.0 for sure. Yeah. And that's look, I, I managed to replicate that here. I threw this thing in the freezer. Uh, it sat there for about, you know, an hour and a half before we uh, from room temperature to, to, you know, this thing. And it was so good and so cold. It's it's not bourbony the way a lot of bourbon yes. barrel stouts are, but it's very creamy. So like the milk part is definitely there. It's a smooth, milky uh, uh, fucking bourbon barrel, man. It's it bourbon barrel stout. It's fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, it was it was funny because I was telling you what they had on the menu. I was like, hey, man, and I was emphasizing the milk, not realizing that was the name of the of the company, the logo, right. or whatever. It was like, oh, it's Dragon's Milk. Uh, you know, I was starting with the word milk for the for yeah. the stout. You know, like I thought it exactly. was exactly. It's a a milk bourbon barrel stout, and you're like, no, it's Dragon's Dragon's Milk. Bourbon barrel stout. Right. I'm just like, exactly. oh shit. Okay. Gotcha. But yeah, agreed. There was not that um, overly bourbony taste to it. And it just kind of had this smoothness. And and so whatever that company does, uh, I'll actually grab a couple myself. So you said you yeah, got it at Bevmo? 
Yeah, Bevmo had it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Perfect, perfect. Super, super cheap as far as stouts go too. Like sixteen bucks for a four pack, something like that, which is very okay. cheap for bourbon barrel stouts. Um, right so on. hey, we 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 need to get on out of here, but we have a little bit of business. Number one, we have an email. Um, making comics podcast at gmail.com. So hit us up there. I wanted to get that out of the way because I did want to mention, Scott, I don't know if you remember, but it was a pretty clear night when we were um, at Lake Arrowhead looking out, looking out on the lake. I mean, I had a view of the lake. I was like, holy fuck, man, it's really clear. And, uh, and, and there are times when I fancy myself kind of like an amateur astronomer. And, uh, and so the crazy thing, right, is that if, if you don't know, for in terms of amateur astronomy, um, one of the most recognizable constellations in the sky, it's Orion. It's Orion the Hunter. And among Orion's best known features is the belt, which consists of three bright stars in the line, right? I think most people can identify that when they look at the sky, each of which uh, can be seen without a telescope. That's what makes Orion so cool. It's like the Big Dipper, the Little Dipper on a clear night. You can just see Orion, specifically the belt. And uh, and the, the thing about the belt is the westernmost star in the belt is officially known as Delta Orionis or, or Orionis, I guess, but probably Orionis. And so since it's been observed for centuries by sky watchers around the world, it also goes by many other names in various cultures like Mintaka. Modern astronomers know that Delta Orionis is not simply one single star, but it is in fact a complex multiple star system. And the exact number of stars in Delta Orionis, according to NASA, is the same that even NASA recommends giving to the Making Comics podcast, because that number, my friends, is five, because we are the five star podcast experience. (laughs) And I want to mention that I actually, I didn't, none of that was mine. Luke Watkins coming through. That was the other part of Luke Watkins email, right? That, uh, that you wanted to save till the end, correct? Absolutely. Uh, Luke, that was fantastic. I mentioned yeah. to Keith when I read that in the email and, and to Luke himself, I responded and let him know. I was like, it's probably the best email we've ever gotten just based yeah. off of the ending because um, <laughs> he started talking about the constellations. And I think that was based off of me talking about the green comet that passed by and oh, okay. how I was I was taking a look at that. I think I had mentioned that on the pod or or maybe just looking at the stars in general and, and my neighbor having that giant ass telescope. So oh, yeah, when I was right. reading it, I was like, oh, right on. Luke is Luke's into constellations and such. And I was like, yeah, yeah, Orion's belt. I know that. And yeah. I was reading, reading, reading and, and boom, five stars. I was like, fucking A. Right on. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Great I didn't, way to I didn't, email. You, you never told me that he rope-a-doped you with it. That's even better. That's even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was excellent. Hell yeah, man. All right. Hey, we got to get on out of here because you got to watch some live basketball and I got to watch some tape basketball. So we hell don't do this. Yeah. All right, man. Hey, brother, I'll see you next week. Yeah, yeah.